like to extend a very good evening to everybody as we gather together to worship God. And uh, we pray that we will know his presence and his blessing uh, wherever we are. And as we come under the word, we pray that that word would be a source of light and life uh, to our path. We're going to begin with a word of prayer. Lord of God, we pray to bless us. We give thanks, Lord, that as we meet together this evening, uh, that you are the God of heaven and earth, the one with whom we have to do, and the one who does in us far and beyond what we could ask or think. Help us to remember, Lord, that it is in you that we live and we move and we have our being, that you are everything to us, and you are everything that we need in life. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you will uphold us and keep us, and that we will know your presence and peace. We give thanks, O oh Lord, that we can call upon you day or night, that we're not restricted to particular times of the day when we can ask the Lord to help us, that we do not have to go to a particular place in order that we may call upon you, but that we can do so any time of the day or any time of the night, whether we're working or whether we're in the home, whether we're in bed at night, and our cry to you can even be the secret, silent groan of our heart. But if it is accompanied by faith and it is directed to you, then you hear and you understand. And we give thanks, O Lord, for the assurance that your word gives us, uh, that you would hear our cry, and that those who seek you, that they will find, those who call upon you, that you will hear. And we pray, Lord, that you will enable us uh, to keep going to you. We will never tire you out. And we give thanks, Lord, for that, because we know that we can tire one another out, but we'll never tire you out. And so we give thanks, O Lord, for these great truths and uh, this great knowledge that you have given to us in your word. Pray to bless everybody today who listens to your word. And we give thanks for the opportunity that is given to us uh, to send forth uh, the word of God uh, by this way. And even although we have uh, faced a lockdown, and although uh, we have been restricted for so long, yet we give thanks for the provision that is made, whereby the gospel is still being able uh, to be communicated and brought into people's lives and into people's homes. We give thanks, Lord, for that, because you're always, you're always ahead. And we give thanks, O Lord, that as restrictions are beginning to be lifted, uh, that uh, you are the God who is able to do uh, wonderful things for us. And uh, we pray that in congregations, that maybe small congregations that are already taking the first uh, tentative steps to getting back, that uh, you will indeed uh, help them and that keep keep them safe. And for maybe the larger congregations that we have to wait a wee while yet. Pray, Lord, that we will be able to t take steps uh, in preparation for that time when we will be able to come back uh, to your house to worship you there and being able to, to meet together. We long for that day, Lord. We give thanks uh, for your goodness and mercy to us in difficult times. We pray for all those who have suffered throughout this time of the, the, the COVID outbreak. And there have been just so many deaths, so many broken hearts, so much grief, so much sorrow, so much pain. 
uh, so many harrowing stories. And we pray for those who have been deeply affected. Pray for those who are still recovering from the illness. Because for many people, it has a devastating effect. It isn't just like something that you get over. For some people, it takes a long, long time. And so we pray that you'll aid them in the recovery and help them. Bless uh, homes and families that have been affected deeply by it. And we pray for healing and help. Ask, O oh Lord, for uh, that your word may come into our nation more and more. Because in the midst of all the heartache and all the many issues that people have, and all the anxieties and all the worries that fill so many hearts and lives, may people be able to see, Lord, that you are in control. You are the God who can still the storm. You are the God who can bring peace, the peace of knowledge, peace of God that passes knowledge and understanding, bring into people's hearts and lives. There is nothing to equal it because your peace is not as the world is given. And so we pray that that nationally we may come to discover more and more of the peace of God. Uh, and we ask, Lord, that you will be with all those then who are troubled and filled with anxieties and sorrows and pains and all the many difficulties of life. We pray, Lord, to bless us nationally and internationally. We pray for our leaders and all in authority over us in Westminster and in Holyrood and here locally in the council. We pray, Lord, that you will give them wisdom and direction from above. Please, Lord, direct them in the right way to go. Because our own, we're told in the word, be not wise in your own eyes. Because sometimes our wisdom is not the right wisdom. So we pray that you will impart your wisdom into our leaders so that they will make the right choices, the right decisions, which will be for our good, for our eternal good. Pray, Lord, to bless your persecuted church worldwide. Sometimes the persecution can be localized, and other times it can be uh, can be much more widespread. We pray, Lord, for nations that are restricted in their worship of the Lord. And we ask that, that you might alleviate the burdens that they're under, and that you will grant them more and more freedom. We so love our freedom. And we pray, Lord, that as a nation, that we will continue to have freedom, because we feel that more and more, that year by year, uh, there seems to be less and less freedom given to us. And so we ask, O oh Lord, that, that uh, we will always have the freedom to proclaim the word of God and uh, that uh, we can do so uh, without any fear or favor so that we may uh, preach the whole counsel of God. Pray then that you will bless us and uh, watch over us in our time together. Have mercy upon us, we pray, and cleanse us from our sins. Again, we pray for uh, our NHS staff and our carers, both uh, in the homes and in the community. We give thanks for all that they have done, particularly in this last while. We so appreciate uh, their, their dedication and their work. Bless us then, we pray, and cleanse her from our every sin. In Jesus' name we ask all. Amen. <clears throat> Just a wee word to any of the young folk who, who might be uh, listening in. Uh, last week, I uh, I was speaking about nettles and the dock leaf, and of how the dock leaf helps uh, when you get a nettle sting. And uh, I mentioned uh, how I had been shoved or pushed by a sheep into nettles when I was a wee boy. And uh, two or three folk have been in touch asking, how on earth did a sheep manage to push you 
into nettles. Well, uh, maybe sometimes people don't realise that sheep can be actually quite strong. If you're going to shear a sheep and you're going to turn the sheep over and the sheep is resisting, you will discover just how, how strong sheep can sometimes be. And uh, when you're maybe trying to pull them or push them, uh, they're, they're quite strong. But uh, the, the, the thing that, <laughs> that happened to me when, 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 when I was young is something that has stuck, always stuck in my mind. Uh, I don't know how old I was. I was certainly under six because this happened in Ardell. My dad was a minister. My dad was from Carloway, Boriston and Carloway. And uh, he was a minister, first of all, in Ardell and then in Portree and then in Callanish. So we moved around. And the first six years of my life I was spent in, in Ardell which is near Kyle, very near Elandonan Castle. You'll often see photos of Elandonan. It's very beautiful. And uh, when I was a wee boy, just like all other young boys and girls, when we hear stories, we imagine them taking place in our own kind of setting. And it's funny when I would ever think of the Garden of Eden. I always pictured it in the garden that we had in Ardell. We had a big garden there. There were lots of bushes, there were raspberries, and there were loads of gooseberry bushes. There were loads of, that had loads of veg and potatoes. And I always saw the Garden of Eden as a garden in Ardell. And there was a path coming out of the garden with a gate. And I always could see the angel that was at the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were put out of the garden there was an angel with a flaming sword which turned every way, preventing them coming back in. And I saw, like in my mind, I could see the angel standing at that gate. Uh, David killed Goliath in front of the manse in Ardell. Because I could picture the scene there right down uh, outside at the front. And Jonah, in fact, uh, was swallowed by the big fish, the whale, in the sea just beside Elandonan Castle. And uh, I'm sure it's the same with you, with all the Bible stories, you picture them happening where the place that you grow up with, the place that you're familiar with. That's how it is with boys and girls. And it's, that's, these pictures stayed in my mind for years and years and years. But uh, my dad was always keen on sheep, and we had some sheep, but there were two sheep in particular Tibby and Smiler that were, became pet sheep. And I was very, very fond of them. And I used to walk beside them. And I would sometimes walk, I was just a wee boy, and I'd walk beside them and I'd have my hand maybe on the back of the sheep as I was walking beside the sheep. But there was this day, and it was the sheep Tibby who was quite a big sheep. I decided I was going to sh show Tibby just how much I really liked Tibby. So when I was beside her, and it was a nice summer's day, I was just in shorts and t-shirt and I decided to put my arm round her neck and give her a hug when she didn't like that. And so she gave me this huge dunt and I was right off balance and I was right beside this huge pile of nettles. And I went flying into the nettles and I still remember the stinging because I was just in a wee t-shirt and shorts. My legs, my hands, my arms, my face, everything. 
And I remember running up back to the house, howling, saying, Debbie doesn't love me anymore. And you know, as I was thinking about that, all I was trying to do was to show this sheep that I really liked it. And when I put out my heart, I would try to give her a hug. She said, I don't want that. And so she shoved me away. And you know, this had got, as I was thinking over this, it got me thinking about, sadly, a lot of people are like that with Jesus. Because Jesus has come into this world to show us his love. And he reaches out to us in love. He reaches out to, to, to show his love to us. And so often we say no. And we push Jesus away. Every time we say to Jesus, no, I don't want you. I don't want you to be my Lord. Don't mind hearing a wee bit about you, but I don't want you. That's what we're doing. And it's a horrible thing when somebody is showing their love to you and you're saying, no, I don't want it. One of the saddest verses in the Bible tells us in, in John's Gospel that Jesus came to his own and his own didn't receive him. They didn't want him. Jesus came uh, to his own people, to the Jews, and they didn't want him. And that's really, really sad. When you think of God's great love in sending his son, you think of Jesus' great love in coming, and people say, no, I don't want you. So we need to be very careful that we don't push Jesus away. Because, you know, there might come a day when Jesus will say, all right, I'm just going to leave you to, to yourself. And that's about the worst thing that could happen. So when Jesus, who is here today and he's speaking to you, is saying, and he's showing you his love and what he has done for you, the greatest thing that you can do is to say, Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. I don't want to push you away. I want to receive you, receive you, receive your love for my life. Let's say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. <clears throat> now we're going to read God's word from the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel and chapter 5. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse 12 through to verse 26. Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. 
On one of those days he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, Judea, and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with them to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a, on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Amen. And may God bless to us this reading of his own holy word. So I would like us uh, to focus on Luke chapter 5 and verse from verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. Great crowds were, were always following uh, Jesus, and his name uh, was on everybody's lips. Verse 15 tells us the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear and to be healed. And if, if we had lived uh, at that time, I'm more than certain uh, we would also have been part of the crowds following Jesus. Uh, because, uh, as uh, people would be saying, uh, because of his teaching, that they had never heard anything like it. Even his critics, those who were opposed to him, had to say, no man ever spoke like this man. And we always enjoy listening to an original thinker. We always enjoy listening to somebody who can communicate uh, original thinking uh, in a wonderful way. And that was so true with Jesus because his teaching at that time was so radical and so different to anything that had been heard before. But of course, there wasn't just his teaching there was also his healing, great healing ministry. So you can understand why huge crowds followed Jesus wherever he went. And as I say, if we had lived then, no doubt we would have been part of that crowd as well. Now verse 17 shows us 
that the Pharisees and the doctors, the teachers of the law, that's uh, the, the scribes, uh, had come from all over the place, from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, uh, to assess him. The big guns were out. Here were the, the people at the top, the religious leaders. They had come to assess Jesus. They had come to pass judgment upon Jesus. And it's really quite an extraordinary thing when you, when you think about it, that uh, people are coming to assess and to pass judgment upon Jesus Christ. And you say to yourself, well, yeah, that's quite ridiculous. But unfortunately, that is happening all the time. Because every person who dismisses, uh, dismisses the Lord Jesus Christ and his teaching and his words, his truth, they're passing judgment on Jesus. Every atheist passes judgment upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Every agnostic, every humanist, every unbeliever is passing judgment upon the Lord Jesus Christ by saying, we don't believe you, don't, we don't accept. We're not accepting this truth. And when we do that, we pass judgment upon the truth of Christ. And it's a very solemn thing because one day the role is going to be reversed. And we all, without exception, have to face the judgment seat of Christ. There, there is an appointment that is going to be made. And nobody, no created human, is going to be able to avoid that appointment. And we will all be judged. I'll be judged. You'll be judged according to what we have done here in this world. So it's a solemn and a searching thing. So anyway, here's all the top brass. And they're out in force uh, to judge for themselves. Now, the religious leaders had sadly drifted. They had really drifted uh, from their original intention because the Pharisees, the, the word Pharisee came uh, from a Hebrew word, which was to divide and to separate. And uh, the, their, they, they came uh, from way back in the, in the Old Testament and possibly around about the time of Ezra the priest who was really enforcing people to live by the word of God and to be separate from the heathen nations so that they wouldn't uh, go into the idolatry of the heathen nations. And while their, <coughs> excuse me, the original intention was good in order to live according to God's word and seeking to, to honour the word of God, unfortunately, as so easily happens, in order to try and be sure that they were keeping to God's word, they added loads and loads and loads of laws onto what was already there, just to try and make doubly sure that they were keeping God's law and God's word. And the problem was that the religious life became a burden. Jesus himself talks about that, the, the, the burden that was on them. And that is always the case, that if we become legalistic in our outlook, in our nature, in our walk, then life becomes a burden. And if you're a Christian today and you're not enjoying the liberty and the freedom that is given in Christ Jesus, but that you're finding Christianity being a burden and that you're weighed down by it, you're bound by it, then something is wrong. You need to get back. You need to get back to focusing upon Jesus of rediscovering what he has given you, what he has done for you, what he has released you from and what he has brought you into. Because there is a freedom that is unique in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, Jesus, 
when he was here, he was trying to release the people from the burden that the religious leaders had placed upon them. That's part of the reason why they hated him, because his teaching uh, was, uh, as we say, very uh, revolutionary to a certain extent. There was Jesus taught and healed. On that day, there was a huge crowd gathered, and God's power uh, was at work in a wonderful way. And as Jesus preached, a group of men, we don't know, two, three, four, how many, were carrying a man on a bed. And this poor man was in a bad way because he was suffering uh, from paralysis. He was paralysed. I don't know what level of paralysis he was in, but he was in a bad way. And uh, paralysis of, of any nature is an awful thing. And uh, I always feel heart sorry uh, for people uh, who are experiencing any form of, of, of paralysis. And I often think, for if, we're, if we're healthy and well, how often we take our health and our freedom for granted. Because just in a moment, in an accident or a stroke or something, that can change. And so we should always, always be careful and mindful uh, about these things. Well, this man was in a bad way. But there was one good thing that this man had. He had good friends. And, you know, one of the great blessings of life is having good friends. Having good friends is something that enriches our lives. We talk of family and friends, and that's true. Uh, a good, good friends are important in life. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ often speaks to us in terms of his friendship. And that he is a, that he is, that he is a friend. I don't call you servants anymore, but friends. And we know how true the saying is, a, a friend in need is a, a friend indeed. However, having said that, we have to be careful because friends, while they can be of, a, of great blessing in this life, can also have the reverse impact. And I'm sure it's one of the sad things as so many people look back on life and they see that they were influenced not for good but for bad by the friends that they had. And it's a very solemn thing for any person to influence people in the wrong direction, to lead them astray, to lead them away from God. Because at the end of the day, as we face judgment, as we're going to be judged on that great day, it's bad enough having to deal with who we are and what we are ourselves, but if we are responsible for leading a lot of people away from the Lord Jesus Christ, then that's, that's a fearful burden to have to bear. So as you say, friend, good friends are, are essential. And this man had the blessing of having great friends. And obviously, the man himself and the friends had heard of uh, the Lord Jesus. And what they heard of Jesus was sufficient for them to know that Jesus alone was the cure, was the only hope for this man. And you know, that's one of the great discoveries that you and I can make as well, is to come to the place and to the point to realise that the only hope we have is from outside, that we don't have within our own makeup, within anything about us, the ability to make ourselves right with God. If we could, Jesus would not have had to come into this world. So the great discovery, the greatest discovery that we can make is to see 
that unless unless we get help as it were from outside we're lost but side by side to see that the one who can help us is the provision that God has made in sending his son Jesus Christ a painful discovery but a wonderful discovery and so this man has made this discovery that his only hope that the only source of help that he could have is by making his way to Jesus but of course he can't and so his friends take him but it's not plain sailing never is or rarely is when we decide to make our way to Jesus because there will be lots of obstacles put in our way it's like the alarm bells go off in hell the moment that they see somebody making their way to Jesus you remember with Zacchaeus we Zacchaeus is a wee man he wanted to see Jesus, but it tells us he couldn't because when he went to where Jesus was, because he was small, he couldn't see because of the crowd. So remember how he had to run ahead and climb up into the sycamore tree. And you know, when you and I become interested in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we try and make our way to Jesus, there will be every obstacle put in our way. It's incredible how often, even just going to pray, things will happen. You decide you're going you're going to give a, a time to pray. As soon as you do that, the phone will go or somebody will come to the door or there'll be some interruption. It's inevitable. It's always the case. Or you become really sleepy. Your mind is taken away. But if you're interested in, in your soul and you're beginning to seek Jesus, you can be guaranteed that the world obstacles will be put in your way. And Satan will come to you with all kinds of thoughts. On the one hand, the Spirit is working in you. God is drawing you. He's speaking to you. And on the other hand, Satan is saying, hey, hold on. Are you ready for this? How will things be in your home? If you become a Christian, how will things be in your home? How will things be at work? Remember the circle of friends you have. What are they going to say? Your life is going to change. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to give up everything. Well, you know, that's one of Satan's great ploys. And so many people whose hearts are warming, all of a sudden they pull back because they begin to count the cost and they say, no, I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared for this kind of change. Well, be persuaded. You don't give up anything that, you, that, that's, that you're going to regret. Because receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour is so wonderful that it it's amazing how the Lord will go before you and he will make it easy for you. You you trust him and he'll sort the rest out. Guaranteed. And so the friends, they come to the house to where Jesus was, but they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. There's this vast crowd. But these men were determined. They weren't going to take no for an answer. And so they're determined that they're going to take this man to Jesus. And that is the kind of determination that Jesus always honours. Because we're told, seek and you will find. And if you are a determined seeker, somebody who is not ready to give in or to give up, guaranteed you will find. That's what God tells us. It's not that we just seek for, for a moment or seek one day or have a wee bit here and a wee bit there. But we will really say, Lord, I need you. I really need you. I need you. And you're not going to give up until 
until you find what you will find. And so these men showed great faith and great determination because they were not going to go back until they had met Jesus. And so what they did was they went up onto the roof. It could have been by, by a ladder, but more than likely it was by the sort of the stair, there would be a, a, a stairwell that ran very often beside the houses. And then they went onto the roof and they lifted the tiles off the roof. And they let, they lowered the man down to where Jesus was there in the centre. And I'm sure Jesus' heart rejoiced when he saw the effort that these men went to to bring their friend to Jesus for healing because it showed great faith and great determination and a great devotion and a great love. Now, I don't know very much about this man, but I think his sins were troubling him. I think his sins were troubling maybe just as much as the paralysis of his body. Because straight away Jesus deals with his sin. Which makes me think that before anything was done, Jesus goes straight to what was at the very heart of this man's life. And he says to the man very simply, uh, your sins are forgiven you. You know, unforgiven sin is a paralysis on our soul, in our soul. And people do not understand or realise the burden of guilt that, that they carry with unforgiven sin. Because our whole lives, when we look back over our lives, and we look at all the sin and all the failures and all the mistakes and all the things, all the things that have happened, all that's gone on, there are so many things that sometimes trouble and cause all kinds of issues in our mind. And if we don't deal with these things, they have a way of bringing us down. And Jesus says, look, you come to me, I'll deal with it. All the burdens that you have, why, why carry them yourself? I'll take them. Come unto me, he said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Cast your burden upon the Lord, whatever it is, whatever it's been of the past, all the things maybe that have messed you up. Jesus said, look, don't tie and go through life with this. It's messing you up. Give it to me. Come to me. Cast yourself on to me. You will discover a release. You will discover a freedom. You will discover a cleansing. You'll discover a liberty. You'll discover life is different by doing that. And this is, this is what, what Jesus has come to do, to give us, to set us free. Jesus keeps talking about this freedom. But when Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven, there was absolute consternation amongst the, the scribes and the Pharisees. They thought to themselves, this is utter blasphemy. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And so they're, they're incensed. But Jesus read their heart. And we must always remember that. Jesus reads, God reads right into the very our heart, into our motives, into everything. So Jesus said then, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to rise up and walk? Now, at one level, the hardest of all is the forgiveness of sin. But from a human point of view, obviously the hardest thing is to rise up and walk because we cannot see 
the forgiveness of sin. That is an inward cleansing that takes place. But to rise up and walk, that, that is a, an amazing miracle. So Jesus is asking, which is easier to say? And you notice the title that, uh, so Jesus said to the paralyzed man, pick up your bed and go home. And you'll notice the title that Jesus gives himself, the, the, the Son of Man. That's, that's what he says, that the, the Son of Man. And this is, our title, this is Jesus' favorite title that he gives to himself. In the gospel records, it's used over 80 times. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Now, these doctors of the law, the scribes and the Pharisees, should have clicked onto this right away. Because you go back to the book of Daniel, and Daniel, speaking of the Messiah, it's a son of man, it's a title. So here is the son of man. And these are the students of God's word, meticulous students. But they don't see it. Why do they not see it? Because their hearts are full of bigotry and full of prejudice. And nothing will blind people to the truth like bigotry and prejudice. When people are prejudiced, and that's, so many people are prejudiced against the Christian faith. And when you're prejudiced against it, you cannot see the truth, even if it's staring you in the face. And that's how it was for these people. They couldn't see it. But Jesus here is demonstrating his authority and power and his ability to forgive sin, because that's what Jesus has done. And the man got up, and with great joy, he makes his way home. He pulled him. Would have been a kind of a mattress bed he would have been on. He pulls up what he had and he goes home with great joy, glorifying God. I would imagine he was praising God because we're told, Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. He would have been just filled with joy. And he would have been what a witness and testimony in the community. Here's this man paralyzed and look at him. And that's what Jesus does. And you and I know, if you've experienced the freedom and liberty of Christ, you know what that joy really is. And Jesus alone is able to meet the deepest needs that are within you. Your soul is the most precious aspect of who you are. You know, we, we often talk of body and soul. And we, we often say, remember that you have a soul, as if the there's the body is the key, the most important part, and it's like the soul is an additional part. Well, C.S. Lewis puts it the other way around. Because he says, you are a soul that has a body, not you are a body that has a soul. He puts the soul first. And he's following what Jesus says. Because Jesus says, what will a person give in exchange for a soul? What will it profit a man if he gains a whole world? loses his own soul, loses who he is, his identity, his everything. That's who you are. The very heart of who you are is your soul. Soul first, then body. So Jesus has come to save our souls. Remember the SOS, save our souls? Well, that's where Jesus has come. He's come to do that for you and for me. Will you ask him to heal you because if you don't have that healing, you have a paralysis in your soul. But Jesus can heal you today. We're going to sing in conclusion now from Psalm 31 and sing psalms. 
And we're going to sing from verse 19 to the end, Psalm 31 from verse 19. Your goodness, Lord, is very great, prepared for those who fear your name. You show your goodness openly to all who your protection claim. Your presence hides and shelters them from those who plot to take their life. And in your tent you keep them safe from evil tongues that stir up strife. Uh, down to the, to the last verse. O love the Lord, all you his saints, the faithful will be kept by God. He will give the proud their due. Be strong, take heart, hope in the Lord. We'll sing these verses, verses 19 to the end of Psalm 31, and sing Psalms. Your goodness, Lord, is very great. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest and abide upon each one of you now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>